0: Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians On Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use and wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hello again, this is Dr. Dyke Drummond at the home of Happy MD in beautiful Seattle, Washington with the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast, and we've got a treat for you. I, I, I ran into Hannah in the article about a week ago, her and the residents at the University of Vermont Medical Center unionized, they unionized. So we've talked a whole bunch about personal burnout prevention tools that rely on you taking better care of your closest work team, better communication skills, working with EMR. But what happens if you need system change? Are there other ways to do this? And if you've looked at burnout articles on the internet, you've seen people talk about unions. You've seen people talk about there ought to be a law. But we're going to talk to Hannah Porter, second year dermatology resident. She's an MD, MBA, took six years off between med school and residency. So she has some experience in the real world outside of healthcare, but she led the efforts to unionize 42 programs and 350 residents at the University of Vermont Medical Center. And Hannah, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I just wanna hear, how did this all get started that you said, yeah, we need a union around here. And let's just walk through the experience, what you've learned and what difference you hope that it will make.
1: Sure. Uh, It was a really crazy experience, but it was a bunch of little things that really built up. And then one final interaction with the GME office that really pushed me to move forward with this effort. So again, I took off six years in between medical school and undergrad. My husband, also a resident now, we tried to couples match. We actually matched apart We have a now two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I thought that the system was kind of cruel, even though there's a couples match, and I wanted to try to change it. I wanted programs to be more family-friendly. I decided to join the GME committee as a resident representative and thought that that might be a good segue into trying to change... Some of the culture at UVM and right. trying to pr- prioritize families when it comes to residents and fellows. And I quickly came to find out that it, you know, any sort of changes or improvements or events that we wanted to do were really met with a lot of resistance. And um, I couldn't understand why I would ask very reasonable questions, uh, very simple questions that I mean, that I thought were reasonable and we wouldn't get answers to them. So I thought that this would be a way for us to formally get a seat at the table and get some more transparency and accountability and just that mutual respect that I was really looking for.
0: And when you say when you say you you weren't getting respect and, and you weren't getting clear answers, what were the kinds of questions that you were asking? I mean, I remember as a resident, we were clearly second class citizens. There were questions we didn't even ask because it seemed like it was above our pay grade. But what were you asking at the time when this became intolerable?
1: Sure. So the one thing that we had asked, so I had actually sent out an email to all the residents and fellows and these Uh, Safety goggles that I'm wearing here. I had asked if anyone wanted to go in on a group order together because the more people who ordered, the bigger the discount was. Uh, A couple of residents actually emailed me back and asked if the GME office could cover the cost of these because we're required to wear eyewear as part of our PPE. And the ones that we had been given were really flimsy, difficult to wear. Most people weren't wearing them. So I asked the GME office. They said that because it was not an approved PPE item that they wouldn't be able to use our... That we wouldn't be able to use our education funds to pay for them. And so I asked, okay, well, who's on the PPE committee? Let's see. I'll, I can run it by them, see if this is something that they can get approved. Because that seems like the, seemed like the logical next step for me anyway, is to find out Why? it's like, why not? Like, if there's a reason, then sure, I get it. But I also am not the type of person who is told no, and then will just run with it.
0: Yeah, I, um, I, I kind of get that. I've only known you for five minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and, but I, I, I think that I'm a reasonable person. So if they were saying, you know, this doesn't, these don't fit the standards of what we're looking for with some explanation, then sure, definitely. But so I asked if I could reach out to the PPE steering committee who made those decisions. I was told no, and that they would reach out themselves. Uh, A couple of weeks later, we were just told that unfortunately, it wasn't approved by the PPE steering committee. So any GME funds could not be used for these uh, safety goggles. And one of the residents who had asked me to see if GME would cover these stoggles said that he had a friend in DC who knew a lot about unions and wondered whether or not I had thought about that here. And I actually, yeah, I actually had, and I had already contacted the organization committee of interns and residents whose parent organization is SEIU, service employees, something united. And I had decided a couple months ago that I wasn't going to lead it because they were looking for someone to lead the organization efforts. And the other person that I had started it with definitely did not want to to lead it because they were a surgery resident and felt like they would jeopardize their future career by doing this. So. We kind of let it be for a couple months until this struggles, I guess, came up. And then this other resident, he's a pediatric intern, Andrew Meshnick, said that he couldn't let, you know, a single, essentially a single mom up here doing this on her own. And so that, that's what gave me the confidence to actually move forward with this because there was another person having my back and they're with me.
0: And so you had heard about this organization committee on uh, of interns and residents before and you reached out to them. And then how did you get the word out that you had potentially the ability to vote on whether or not you became a union site?
1: Yeah, it was uh, a lot of work. Um, I do have to say, though, if we step back a little bit before I had contacted C.A.R., I had actually contacted the nurses union representative prior. So it's the AFT, American Federation of Teachers, I think, is is the um, union for the nurses here. And I had talked to a, a friend of mine who had started a union when he was a teacher out in California to try to see which organization might fit best for us. And his recommendation was that because CIR has unionized residents and fellows before that it made more sense to go with them, even though AFT has the presence already here in Vermont and would have on the ground people helping us with the efforts as well. So it was a really difficult decision when it came down to who to decide on because there are pros and cons with each of them. But ultimately, we decided on CIR because of their experience with graduate medical education.
0: Well, and I'm sitting here thinking like an ordinary doc just sitting out in the country that it must be kind of tough to find somebody who would unionize your workplace. And you're having to make a decision over which entity to do it. <laughs> with. Okay. Okay. So you're there. So let me ask you this, because I know I've seen pictures. How did Bernie Sanders get involved in all of this?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> CIR reached out to Bernie's people and told them about our effort. Uh, we had a Zoom meeting with some of his people where a bunch of us residents told our stories and why we were unionizing. And then he said that he'd come to the hospital. So he came to the hospital and met with, I don't know, maybe 30 plus residents who came to the meeting. The hospital got word that he was coming didn't realize that we should have probably just let them know from the start, but we ended up letting them know and they gave us a meeting room. So it worked out really well. Uh, And he was just real honest about everything and made us promise that we would be the generation of physicians to try to fix this broken system.
0: Right on. And and over the course of the time frame when you've been organizing, how long has it been since you first decided what organization you would go with and you did your vote last week? How big was that timeframe?
1: Um, so I think it was October um, is when we finally got started, maybe end of September. And we actually asked, we got 68% of cards signed of all residents and fellows. Um, I I think it was 251 potentially of all residents and fellows who signed to support the union. We asked the medical center to voluntarily recognize us as a union because we had a super majority. They declined to do so. And then they said that we should go through the NLRB. And that was, let's see, I think it was the third week of March that we asked for them to voluntarily recognize us. And then it took about a month from there for us to actually set up the election that happened last Thursday.
0: So I think they feel like if they smother you with enough layers of bureaucracy, you'll just go away. Does that feel valid to you?
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. And honestly, (laughs) there were times where I didn't want to leave this anymore and i didn't want to be a part of it because i knew that i would likely not directly benefit or if i did it would be towards the end of my residency um, and i have a two and a half year old at home i have um, I, a husband who is an 11 hour drive away oh we my. had to put down our our 12 year old golden retriever named Charlie. In February, so had a lot of life stuff going on, oh but ultimately, I really thought that I could do it. First of all, that I had the willpower and uh, ability to do this, and that ultimately, I really think that it'll help change the culture of medicine, and it'll be this just one aspect where we can approach trying to fix this broken system. I know that there are several ways to approach how we can fix this healthcare system. And this is one of the ways from my perspective.
0: And, and what do you feel like will be the biggest benefit, like the day-to-day on-the-ground benefit of having, having become a union shop? Uh, before you were talking about how, how you were looking for information, and you couldn't get it and there wasn't transparency and delaying tactics and bureaucracy and all of that. What do you think is gonna be different now that you're a union shop?
1: Yeah, now that we're a union shop, they, you know, the administration will be required to listen to us in good faith and like negotiate with us in good faith. And just like purely having a seat at the table will provide people with so much more information and more just Advocacy power to ask for what they need. Whereas before, it was all like, oh, I think this is the case. Oh, like I heard that this department did that. Or yeah, it was just very much silos of medicine where programs didn't know what other programs did. And some programs knew about opportunities that others didn't. It was just very, very siloed. And I think that with unionizing, having a central point of information, and having protocols in place and policies in case you know something does happen where you might need to i don't know guests you know i think the day to day will be pretty much the same i think that really it's more of the higher level benefits salary working conditions that end up trickling down to day to day but Ultimately, I think that just having that confidence that there is another entity backing us with our interests that are really aligned with our goals is really important because even though most sponsoring instit- or all sponsoring institutions have a GME office, I think that ultimately they are responsible to the hospital. And I think that their goals align with the Hoskins, um, ultimately. So I think that having just an organization that backs us and supports us is is pretty awesome.
0: Well, and solidarity and collective bargaining, the possibility of collective bargaining. I mean, it sounds like one of the big deals here was having a seat at the table where you could ask a question, you could get a legitimate and respectful response, now that you're unionized, does that mean that each of the residency programs and each of the fellowship programs has to have a member as a representative at the table of the senior leadership of the department? Is that something that has to happen now too?
1: So it all really depends. It is usually uh, institution to institution to as to how they decide who is on the bargaining committee. Um, some institutions... Have sort of a one to 10 ratio where one person represents 10 residents and fellows. Okay. uh, To try to make it more even across the board. But from the couple of folks that I've talked to at other institutions, so UIC, uh, UMass, they have sort of actually left it open for anyone to go to these negotiations because I think that, you know having offering additional work to do on top of residency isn't always the most appealing. Right. So I think that actually getting more people involved might be more difficult than I think people anticipate. But ideally the way that I we would see things is yes, having a representative from each of the specialties, but some programs are just one or two people. So maybe combining some of the fellowships together so that they don't have to all come to these meetings.
0: Well, I know it's only been a week, but have you noticed any change in the way you're being treated by senior leaders in the institution these days now that you're unionized? Is it too early to tell?
1: So we got an email saying that now that we have officially decided That we want to be represented by CIR, that status quo will be in effect, which they're trying to say that we can't make any changes to our contract or working conditions or salary, et cetera. But from our understanding, if they wanted to give us a $10,000 raise, then we would be okay with that and we would allow that to happen. So there's a lot of, I guess, confusion as to what status quo means. But ultimately, I think it just means that they can't take away any benefits that we currently have. And it seems like their understanding is they can't give us any additional benefits either. But that's really the only thing that has come up since our union vote last week.
0: And there's are there any dues? Do you get a new deduction from your salary for being a member of the union or something like that?
1: Yes. So for CIR, the dues are one point six percent of salary, mm. and we do not pay any dues until our first contract is signed. Okay. The way that it works is after all of these bargaining sessions, the contract goes to a vote for all of the union members. So anyone who wants to act into the union, and it's just a fifty percent vote saying we, you know. Uh, agree with the contract, and that's what we want. So once the first contract is signed, that's when we start paying dues. But up until then, CIR has been paying for everything in the hopes that uh, this worked.
0: And I'm assuming CIR will provide professional negotiators at the time when you're renegotiating the contract, and you'll be with them, but they'll be doing the the heavy lifting?
1: I believe so. So they do have a, a negotiator who is pretty experienced from what I've heard, um, who will be coming in to help us with negotiations. But from my understanding, the residents play a large part in that too. And the negotiator from CIR is really there to make sure that they're not trying to pull a fast one on us. And, um, you know, he knows all the nuances and the rules. And so I think that uh, he's really there to help support us in that way.
0: Well, I would expect too, that they've negotiated other contracts for other institutions so they know what the standard is. Now, in the wake of all of this, do you occupy a title, a a position inside? Are you like the shop steward or something like that?
1: No, 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 no. Far from that. So going back to your question as to like, how did we get like all these people on board It was just a really, really a lot of one on one conversations. So I think that for anyone hoping to do this um, at their institution, you know, just start with basic conversations as to, you know, what do you want to change? Like, what sorts of things are like frustrating to you? And starting really from a very basic conversation as to, how can Things change to make you happier. How can we better take care of patients and really just understanding the people around you and what they'd like to change. And then from there, you'll get people who are a lot more passionate and you'll ask them, do you want to be part of the organizing committee? And then it's sort of, you add on to the organizing committee, other people, other organizing committee members can also add more organizing committee members. And you build a core group of people who have those conversations and who, you know, get people on board and get them to be supportive and then have them commit verbally that they will sign a card in support of uh, unionizing and then actually have them sign a card. So there's like a playbook, I guess you would say, I'm guessing that most union organizations do to ensure that they actually have a pretty solid vote when it comes down to an election, which I didn't quite understand when I first started.
0: Got to get the votes. Got to whip the votes before you call for the vote. Okay, cool. And then let me just ask you one more question. We'll call it good for today, but I do want to come back and ask you a year from now, because you're still going to be a resident a year from now, how it's worked out, hopefully to your benefit, right? So Mm -hmm. as you read the temperature of the group of people who were on the organizing committee and the group of people who signed cards, what do you think is the top of the stack of changes they want to see now that you're unionized? What What would you go to the mat for in terms of your first negotiation?
1: Sure, so I think that a lot of people are struggling with paying rent around here. Someone told me that one of the residents rents went up by twelve hundred and fifty dollars this next year. so having a salary that is miserable with at least the inflation rate so the inflation rate was around seven percent um we got a two percent raise and we asked for them to, give us a 7% raise to match inflation. And we were told no. Uh, so that's one thing. The, another thing is enforcing working hours. So currently, even with the 80-hour uh, work week restriction, there are several residents who are still routinely lying on their hours and going over on their hours. And there was one who went to the designated institutional official at UVM and told her about it, and nothing was done to help that resident.
0: Oh, and it's because it's not a voluntary thing; they're being they're being asked and expected to go beyond the eighty hour limit. Correct. Gotcha.
1: And and even when, so they're technically not supposed to, and. When they reported it, this resident in particular reported it to the GME office, nothing was done. And there was pregnant neurosurgery resident who experienced similar lack of support from the GME office when, when she was pregnant as well.
0: Cool. And then let me finish up with a Bernie Sanders question. What's your salary? <laughs> About what? Six,
1: 65 Four sixty six.
0: Okay, and what, is the, what does the CEO make there?
1: Uh this was in two thousand nineteen or two thousand twenty, but two point two million.
0: Okay, there you go. That's a multiple. Mm-hmm. That's a multiple. Yeah. Anything for else? Sure. Anything else you want to say to be complete for today?
1: Um, I think that we have to take medicine back somehow. We have to start. We have to find ways to fight burnout, not just at the individual level, but as groups. And that's how we can change medicine and change it for not only ourselves and our colleagues, but also for our patients and our communities and healthcare in general in the United States.
0: Well, and I hope that my fingers are crossed and I'm knocking on wood and hoping that a year from now, I talk to you and your your salary negotiations have been successful. You're getting the communication that you need. They're enforcing the work hour restrictions. We hope that that's true and, uh, time will tell it's going to take, I think, consistent effort on your part and the team that you're working with and, and continued ability to deal with the layers of bureaucracy that are going to be thrown in your way. I guarantee, I almost guarantee you that.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. Oh, one more point. I never brought up, we never brought up the anti-union consultants that were brought in and paid for by the hospital. Oh. Um,
0: Tell us about mm-hmm.
1: that. <laughs> yeah, so we have a organizing committee member who's pretty great friends with some program directors and was privy to one of the emails that was sent out by one of the anti-union consultants. And so we were able to see their names on the email. One was Katie Lev of Lev Labor, ironically enough. And the other was Carol Holland. And if you just Google their names, you can see their involvement in union busting across the nation for Katie Lev and most recently at Bates University and Lawrence Family Health Care System for Carol Holland. And at least at Bates, Katie Lev was paid $2,500 a day for consulting services. And they offered coaching sessions to our program directors on how to talk to us about unionizing and what to consider when we go and vote for this.
0: Oh, my. How Mm -hmm. dastardly. I'm twirling my mustache right here. It's like how how to take the... The stuffing out of those uppity students by the w- words that you use in your conversations. Wow. And I can make $2,500 a day if I'm willing to be that evil.
1: Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> crazy. And I mean, it's their work is obviously very effective because several of the program directors were kind of questioning our motives and and warned us that things would not be the way that we expected them like we get a private fund in dermatology that our chair fundraises for asks alumni to donate to so that the residents are able to go to any conferences that they are presenting at and we were told that that fund would go away Um, wow yeah so several of the tax tactics that are used are based on fear and not valid so that was a very difficult thing to combat once we went public, because then they had those four weeks to run their anti-union campaign and all of it was pretty, you know, by the union busting playbook that you can find online. Right. And I wish that they would have just done it themselves rather than paid consultants to do it.
0: So hang on a second. You asked them if voluntarily they would accept uh, you becoming a unionized workforce and they said no we don't have to do that voluntarily let's go to the national trade and labor board or whatever those those uh, letters stand for and then they broke out the union busting consultants and started telling you you know it's pretty nice around here you might not want the temperature of the water to change too much
1: exactly wow. exactly <laughs> yeah but they're when um, when asked they said that they want all residents and fellows to have an opportunity to, you know, vote how they want to vote. And just so long as it's effect- the right way. Right. So <laughs> it gave them um, the opportunity to run their anti-union campaign. And it was pretty effective, surprisingly, to for the program directors anyway. I don't know if necessarily any of the residents felt like what they were saying were true, but they definitely Im- influenced a lot of the program directors and attendings
0: so so the people who had the fear put in them were the folks that were running the department
1: the program the, the yeah, program the, residency directors. Programs.
0: the mm-hmm. program directors like we could take some, some, some of the funding them. way oh my okay oh
1: yes 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 Mm-hmm.
0: So you're going to yeah. organize as a workforce and they're going to go after the program directors as an indirect kibosh. Oh, wow. This is fascinating.
1: Uh, that was one approach for them. So one approach was through the program directors. So they provided the program directors with coaching sessions, um, with material questions like to ask us and um, talking points to make sure that they hit. And then, so that was one way they came to us. Another way was the GME office directly emailed all the residents and fellows, you know, information, information that they had and questions that they had. And so that was sort of coming at us at from both the program director perspective and directly from GME.
0: Well, and your residents too, right? So if anybody feels fragile about If something happened to your residency position, your job, so to speak, nobody feels more fragile than a resident. You're not even board certified at this point. Wow. What leverage? What leverage?
1: Well, lots of leverage. It will,
0: it will. The time will tell if some of their threats materialize. I have a feeling it's all smoke and mirrors. But again, you and I have to connect again in six months and a year and just see how things are going since you
1: unionized. For sure. For well, sure.
0: Thank you so much for filling us in on that piece of it, too, because that that's just evil and fascinating. And, and you weathered the storm anyhow. So well done. Thank so, you. Dyke Drummond, this has been the latest edition of the Physician on Purpose podcast with Hannah Porter, MD, MDA, MBA at the University of Mer- Medical Center, where they've recently, just a week ago, uh, certified themselves as a union shop for the residents and fellows in the system. Thanks so much, Hannah. You have a great rest of your day, okay?
1: Yes, thanks so much for having me.